Bibles, turn there, and uh, we're going to read this. Now, this is a key part of the Scriptures. Uh, I mean, every part of the Scriptures is a crucial part, but this is the part where God is laying down His law. Okay, He's laying down, He's giving basically the Constitution uh, for Israel as they come out of Egypt and as they're in the desert and as they're becoming a nation. And so... Um, the law of God is a crucial thing to understand, and it's a very confusing thing to understand as well. Because as you look at the Old Testament, you got all these laws. You got the Ten Commandments, and then you got all these like ceremonial laws, and like what to do with sheep and goats, and then you have the civil laws and how to be a society, and all these sorts of things. So when you when you read Exodus and Leviticus, especially, it can get become very confusing. In terms of like, okay, what what laws are still, um, you know, still have jurisdiction, so to speak, over us, and what laws like don't matter anymore. Um, and what I want to say about tonight is these Ten Commandments. These are um, these are crucial because they're not just for the Old Testament Israel back in Egypt, back in Exodus, back in the wilderness, but they are applicable even now. Whereas some of the laws, the ceremonial laws about sheep and goats and bulls and the sacrifices, those things have been completed in Christ, and they're no longer. We don't have. We don't. We're not going to uh, sacrifice a sheep tonight, or when you're at church, we don't have to do that anymore because we believe that all those sacrifices, all that fulfillment was in Jesus when He died on the cross. But as you think about the law, and I'm not going to go into this much, but there's those three ideas. There's the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, still abiding. There's the civil law, which was Israel as a nation. Those, and Israel is not a nation like they were in the Old Testament. Okay. And then there's the, the issue of the, the ceremonial law. So whenever somebody talks to you about the Old Testament, they have some question or whatever, and there's, they're talking about the ceremonial law or the civil law, you have to get your categories right. Because if you don't, you're going to be like saying things that that are are false about the law. So, um, we can talk more about that. But we're in Exodus 19, and I'm going to read verse 4, if you turn there, or 3 to 6, and then I'm going to read chapter 20. Okay, so, hear God's Word tonight. Okay, there Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. So this is Mount Sinai, where he's going to receive the law. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then, chapter 20 is kind of like the specifics of that covenant, uh, of that law that God gives him. And so, chapter 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have... You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any 
likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days... The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This ends reading God's holy word. As you come to uh, the law of God that we just read, the Ten Commandments, um, one of the ideas that I want to make plain is this idea of shalom. Have you heard that Hebrew word, shalom? Does anybody know what it means? Peace. And you might hear... um, Hebrew people, especially if you're over in Israel, say that as a greeting, shalom, you know, may the peace of God be with you, that sort of thing. And this idea of shalom is bigger than that in the Bible. It's actually this idea of peace, ultimate peace. Um, Peace between God and peace uh, in every area of life. And in the biblical sense, when you read this law of God, what you're, what you're looking at is the ultimate peace of God, where people love God with all of their heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and they love one another as themselves. And when this happens, when God's laws is reigning in people's hearts, and people are loving God and rejoicing in God, and loving one another and serving one another, this shalom, this peace of God, transcends the world. Now, we live in a time where the fall has happened in Genesis 3. okay, And this ultimate peace of God, this ultimate shalom of God has been shattered and broken. okay. And so Israel at this point, they are after Genesis 3. okay, They are in the midst of the fall. And yet God gives them this commandment. He says, I want you all to do this. I want you to do that. And so God is basically saying, I... I desire my people who are called by my name to love me with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love their neighbors themselves. And I'm summarizing the Ten Commandments there. And they want, he wants, he desires 
uh, that they would live in this harmony with Him. But what we find out all through the Scriptures, and we find out even in our own hearts, that we can't. We can't love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we have a big trouble loving other people as ourselves. Um, but yet, God gives us this law, and ultimately He's saying that uh, we become more human. When we become more uh, like people made in the image of God when we obey and when we love Him. And I, I want to use a little illustration um, about the law and the game of basketball. Okay? Um, now, you know, in basketball you have certain rules. Okay? When you're playing the game. Like, uh, there's certain rules that, that guide that game, you know. And so if you if you start dribbling the basketball and then all of a sudden you take it up and you start like running five steps and then you take a chair and you put it under the hoop and you jump up on it and slam dunk it, uh, the referee would blow the whistle because you just broke a ton of rules. You can't double dribble. Okay, you can't pick up the ball and run more than, what, a step and a half uh, with the ball, right? You can't put something on the court. Now... What if that happened in a real game and you were playing with somebody? In fact, we had a game last night of Ultimate Frisbee and there was some, there was some debating about like what the rules were there and it was getting a little frisky. It was getting a little competitive. You know, like how many steps do you actually get? Like was that person really inbound? Were they really in the end zone or not? And, uh, one team went ahead about 18 to 3 and the other team said, hey, we're going to have a jubilee point and we're going to like say all the debts are erased and we're going to actually just, whoever gets this last touchdown or whatever, this last score wins. And the team that was losing uh, actually won that. Um, but I think that there was a feeling of injustice by the other side. Like, this is not right. We just creamed you and now on that one play, you guys said you won. That's unfair, okay? Because... You see, we were made to live in this structure of rules, okay? Um, the game, the game of basketball or whatever game you play is based on certain laws, certain rules. And the beauty of the game is really played within that because if you don't have those rules at bay or, you know, if you don't have those rules and you obey those rules, then the game gets out of hand and it's not a pretty game. It's an ugly game, okay? And... It's the same way with life. It's the same way with the Scriptures and with this law. That God knows who we are. He's created us in His image. And He knows what's best for us. And so He's given us this law so that we best know how to love Him and glorify Him and also to love our neighbors as ourselves. So part of our DNA being made in the image of God is that we were made for His law. Okay, and ultimately, as you look through the Psalms and that sort of thing, you'll read, in fact, we read today in Psalm 119 about how the psalmist really delights in God's law. He loves God's law. And sometimes when I read that, I'm like, man, I don't delight in God's law. I don't even want to do it. I want to do something else. Again, that's because we're after that fall. We're after sin has come in. But the law still holds and the law is still good. And our heart is to delight in it and to love God, but yet we find another law at work where we want to just be our own law. Okay, We want to be autonomous from God and we want to do what we want because that's the law of sin working in us. But if you're here tonight and you thought Christianity was all about freedom, no rules, no restrictions, okay, in one sense that is true. Okay, 
But in another sense, that's not true. Okay? And um, you might be saying, I knew it. I knew you were going to throw law into this party and spoil this grace party. But um, I want you to think about a fish in a fishbowl. Okay? Fish in a fishbowl is living in the law of oxygen and water. Okay? And it's the gills are... You know, somehow, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a biologist, but the water, they're, they're taking in that water and they're able to get that oxygen out of that water. And they're having a great time. They're swimming around. It's freedom. It's freedom for them to be in there. They love the fishbowl. Okay? They just love it. They're just swimming around and having a great old time. And then all of a sudden they think, they think that it would be better if maybe they tried Hopping outside. In fact, we had a fish at our house and we named him Lazarus because one morning I came out into the kitchen and, uh, and I'm like, it was kind of dark in there and I was looking in. I thought Lazarus was in the bowl and then I like had my coffee or something. Literally for several minutes I'm in the living room. Then I come back in and Lazarus is on the counter. And I'm like, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus was trying to be free outside of the fishbowl. Okay? But, the way his DNA was, the way the laws of his gills and lungs and everything worked is that's not freedom, that's death. Okay, because he was outside the fishbowl. I literally, I picked him up thinking he's dead and it was Stephanie Ruger's fish. She was in China and she gave me the fish to take care of. Okay, for the whole year. We had this fish. We had two fish. We had Lazarus and then Junior. Okay, and uh, they both survived. Um so I put Lazarus back in, and sure enough, like he like he's, he lived. It was unbelievable. Okay, because that's that was his true, like he was made for the water. Okay, and his lungs and gills and all that kind of stuff. Like that was like it, it may have seen it may have you know for Lazarus it seemed like freedom was like living outside the fishbowl and doing whatever he wanted, but that was actually bondage and death. And it's the same for us with the law of God. Okay, we think that like, hey, we don't need a law. We can just do whatever we want. We, we're autonomous people. We can just, you know, live the way we want to live. Like, who cares about God? And but what we see is because we were made by God and because we're made in His image, we have this like DNA that's like deeply connected with who God is and His law, which is good and beautiful and wonderful. Okay, and when we do those, when we walk in His paths, we find that life goes well and we're blessed by it because that's how God has made us. And if we throw out that law and say, I'm going to be a law unto myself, what we find is bondage and ultimately destruction and death. Okay, so that's kind of the big, this is the big framework I'm trying to get you, get you to understand. We're going we're gonna to try to unpack that. Okay, I know this is, it might sound a little technical, so I hope you Stay with me. Um, this was really hard to kind of put together, but tonight I just want to talk about these three things. Um, if you're saying, gosh, that sounded like three things right there, and now he hasn't even gotten to it. But the question I'm asking is, why does God give us His law? Why does God give us His law? And the first thing is to show us who God is and what He requires. Okay, who God is and what He requires. Okay, so first... The law, this Ten Commandments, this moral law that God is speaking to Israel is showing us God's character and who God is. Okay, And it's showing that God is good. Uh, the law re- reveals um, 
this God of the Bible is wonderful. And that's why the psalmist writes, Oh, how, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And so it shows us his character. And so if you look at these, these first four, okay, we might call that the first tablet. And these are all more or less like God-directed laws. Um, you shall have no other gods before me, verse 3. So what does that mean? You shall have no other gods before me. What is that saying about God? What's that saying about the Israel, Israel's God, Yahweh? It's saying that God, God is saying of Himself, I am ultimate. I'm your creator. I'm the one you're to worship. I'm the one you're to bow down to. I'm the only wise, powerful, sovereign God. I'm the only one that should be worshipped. Okay, that's what God is saying. Uh, when he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below. And part of what God is telling us right here is that he is spirit. All the other Canaanite gods, all the other Egyptian gods, they had images like the sun god. You guys have been to some museums and, or on TV or whatever. You've seen like images of like Ra and the sun god and um, some of the gods of Egypt and those sorts of things. And so what God is doing here is he's setting himself apart. He's saying, I'm not like these Egyptian gods. I'm not like Baal. I'm not like the Canaanite gods, the gods of the storm or the earth or whatever, or fertility. I am spirit. And so don't make an image of me because you're not going to be able to just, you're not going to be able to do that because I'm high above this earth. I am not the table. I am not a tree. I am not the ocean. Okay. I am spirit and I am, I am different. Don't box me in. Uh, so don't try to make an image of me. Um, you cannot limit me like you do the Canaanite gods in their territory. I'm almighty and I'm everywhere. I'm omnipotent and I'm omniscient. I'm everywhere. And so you can't make an image of me because you don't know me. You don't know. Now, God would reveal himself in Jesus later on. He would actually come down and show us who he is, which is amazing. But he's saying, don't try to make an image of me. He says, don't take my name in vain. Number three, um, what's going on there? Well, uh, God did not give an idol, but He gave a name. And He's, and he's saying to Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, L-O-R-D, capital, that's like the covenant God. And He's saying, like, you are my people, take my name, like, I am Chris, okay, I have Chris as my name. But like, to Israel, He was their God. And so, when He says, my name, don't take my name in vain. It's a very personal, intimate thing because God is actually giving us His name to place upon us. He's personal and He comes personally to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so He's saying, revere my name. Um, it's special. I'm holy. Uh, and then He says, for keep my Sabbath day holy. Okay? And He's saying, rest from your work. You know, I worked six days and I took a rest. I want you to do the same because what he's saying is, um, I am the one who created you and I'm the one who worked redemption for you. And so this is a special day. It's holy. You need to think about that. You need to stop from your labor. So he's saying uh, that um, you need to trust me that I will take care of you. You're going to labor. I'm going to take care of you. And you can actually stop 
everything you're doing, and I'm a caring God who's redeemed you and who's created you, and I will take care of you. So the law, this first tablet, is showing us who God is, and it's saying, this is how we love God. And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? It was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And He was summarizing the Ten Commandments in the first four. And then He says, and this is the second tablet, we need this because the law shows us how to love our neighbor. Okay, so this is five, this is five to ten. So we need this because we don't, in and of ourselves, we don't know how to love our neighbor. But God shows us that. And He says, um, loving, loving Him, and loving other people means number one, number five, honoring your parents, loving your parents. That God has created this family and He said, kids, you need to honor, respect, obey, love your parents. This is important. Um, help them, care for them, help them in their old age, help them when they're sick. Uh, number six, it means love means not murdering people. And all of these here are like in a negative. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. What we should know is it means, even though it's a negative, it means positively instead. Instead of murdering people, bless people. Love people. People that, people that are... Um, you, you should promote life versus just don't murder. Okay, So there's like a positive aspect of all of these laws. Um, loving means not committing adultery with your neighbor's wife or husband or having sex with people that are not your wife or husband. It means ultimately, positively, protecting marriage, respecting people, uh, being a blessing to them. Love means, number eight, not stealing or taking your neighbor's property, but instead protecting, uh, instead uh, blessing your neighbor by um, not taking his stuff. Number nine, love means not lying or spreading false reports one to another, but promoting truth and honesty in all your relationships. So these are I'm breaking down this law, but this is how we love people, okay? Uh, it means ultimately not coveting or taking the stuff of your neighbor, okay? Not lusting or being jealous about what your neighbor or envious about what your neighbor has. Um, but it means being satisfied with what God has given you. And so, the summary again is, uh, why has God given us His law? He's given us this to show us who He is. This is the things that God values. Moses didn't come up with these things. Although, uh, in every culture, and this is one of the reasons why I believe in Christianity, if you look around every culture, even those that might not have the Bible, you will find... Similar laws. Why is that? I believe it's because people are made in God's image. And even though they might not have the Ten Commandments to look at, God has made them in such a way that they know deep down in their heart that murdering is wrong or taking someone's wife is wrong or taking someone's stuff is wrong. Okay, Even though they don't have the Ten Commandments, they have this sense. In fact, in Romans, Paul says that... Um, that people even that don't have the law are a law unto themselves because their conscience bears witness of the truth of God in their hearts. So you might think, what about those people like way over on the other side of the earth or some island and they've never had the Scriptures, they've never had the Ten Commandments, they've never had the law of God to like say what is right and wrong. Like, Are they guilty before God? 
That's a huge question. It might be a question you've had. And the scripture, what, what Romans 2 says, if you want to look at that, it says that, that this idea of conscience, that people have these ideas right and wrong, and guess what? They can't even keep it themselves. That we're all guilty that we break these commandments. And so, um, you guys staying with me? I know that this is kind of detailed. All right. So, uh, so we have this law. It shows us who God is. It shows us what the requirements we have. But what it does is it leaves us high and dry. Because if you think about these things for any length of time, you, you see that, man, I don't really do a good job with these things. I don't really love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, and I don't really love my neighbor as myself the way God wants me to. And so, so the, big, the, the, the other reason why God has given us the law is the second thing is it shows us our sin. It shows us our need. It shows us that we come up empty time and time again. And so we have these commandments that are good and beautiful and they are the character of God given to us. But when we look into our hearts, we know that we can't keep them perfectly. And so Romans, Paul constantly is saying all through that book that we can't keep the law for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Um, He writes in Romans 6 and 7 that we're slaves to sin. Um, We're under this bondage of the law. Because we can't keep it. And we know God requires it of us, but we can't do it. And so, Paul even says this, that he says that when I read the law, it actually awakens sin in me. It's like when your mom tells you she's been cooking cookies or baking cookies like the entire afternoon and you're like seven years old. Okay? And she puts this out on the... The kitchen table right here. It's warm. And you you can smell it. She says, I do not want you to touch that or eat any of those cookies. And then she leaves, you know, and goes, takes a nap or whatever. Like that awakens something in a child's heart. Okay? Because you she said no, do not do that, but man, you want to. And and we do. <laughs> and, and and so that's what ha- that's what Paul is saying. He said he says, um, for while he says, uh, uh, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And he says, if if it had not been for the law, okay, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." In other words, the law is good, but it's awakening in us our sin nature. And it's showing us that, like, we don't want anything to do with God. We want to, we want to go against Him. Okay? Now, this is really crucial because, um, people think, okay, and a lot of good Christian people in the church, okay, think that, okay, here's the Ten Commandments. I can do it. I, you know, I've never committed adultery physically, right? I have never, I've never murdered. But it's very interesting because, in the New Testament, Jesus has a whole set of people that were saying the exact same things. Like, hey, we are keeping the law, Lord. We're doing good. You know, we're, we're keeping the commandments. We love God. We love other people. And then he started saying in the Sermon on the Mount, you've, you know, you've heard that it is said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, 
if you hate your brother, or if you call him, you fool, you've committed murder in your heart. And then he says, like, you've heard that it says, you know, do not commit adultery. And then he says, any man or woman who even lusts at someone else commits adultery in their heart. And they've sinned, they've fallen, they've broken it. So, you see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is taking these ideas and He's taking them deeper. He's saying, it's not just... And it was like this for the Old Testament too. They knew that it wasn't just the outward thing. They knew that it was supposed to be... Uh, they were supposed to obey from the heart, inside, and they can't do it. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were self-righteous because they were saying, on the outside, we can do these things and we're really good at it. And they even created more and more laws over top of these things to try to set boundaries so that they could really look good and think that they're keeping them. But it was all, it was really all just rubbish. Okay. In fact, Paul has another word for it um, that he talks about something that flushes down the toilet. Literally said that in the Greek. Okay. That all these good works that I thought I was doing, they're like crap. Okay. And what he desired, what the law awakens in him is a debt that I can't pay. I can't do it. I'm like pretty good. I'm really good. You might be like in the 99th percentile of goodness. But when it's compared to God's ultimate holy, like you're, you're nowhere near. And so it creates this need. And the Apostle Paul was like the poster child for keeping the law. He was a Pharisee. He, he was you know, uh, zealous for God's law and the commandments. And he comes to the place where he says, when Jesus meets him finally, like Jesus basically tears all this up, knocks all his foundation off, and he says, uh, I need to be found in Christ. I need, to, I need another righteousness. A righteousness not on my own, based on me keeping it. I need someone else. And that's what ultimately the law points to. The law, when it's awakened by the command, puts us to death. It slays us, is what Paul says. Um, the law puts me to death. It shows that I am a sinner and it shows that I am dead in sin. And he says, it was sin producing death in me through what was good, the law, in order that sin might, might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The very thing I wanted to do, I couldn't do. Okay, so Paul is like seeing, man, he's a big sinner. And then he finds Jesus on the road to Damascus and everything changes. And he says things like this. Do you have this next slide? Galatians 3. Okay, here's what, here's what he says about the law. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, or in some translations, our tutor. Okay, like you need a tutor for calculus until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So he said the whole purpose of the law, it shows us the glory of God. It shows us what God requires. We can't keep it. It actually awakens death in me. But then it points me to my need and this hole in my heart. And it says, you need to be found with a justification that only Jesus can give you. Okay, so that's where we get to Christ. Look, at, is there another one there too? You got another one? Yeah. Uh, no, you don't. Okay. There's another verse I want to read to you that says, um, 
We know that a person is not, not justified by the works of the law or by obeying the Ten Commandments, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is, this is the gospel. Okay? And this is what, this is why we need the law, we need the Old Testament, and we need the commandments, because those laws show us our need. And they show us our debt. And they point us to Jesus to say, I can't be found righteous in myself, in my own obedience. I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. I need Jesus. I need Him. And so here's what Jesus does. Jesus then comes to earth as God's Son, and He perfectly obeys the law. All Ten Commandments. Okay, Loves God perfectly. And He loves His neighbor as Himself perfectly. He is the pure Lamb of God without sin. So therefore, when He goes to the cross without sin, He is able to take upon Himself our sin. And so that the only way Chris Garriott can become righteous and justified in God's sight is not because I tried really hard to keep the commandments. I was pretty good related, related to all of everybody else in society. I was in the 99th percentile or whatever. But it's only because I trust in Christ that He was my righteousness for me. That's the hope of the Gospel. And that's the freedom of the Gospel because if we don't get to Jesus and His righteousness, it's always up to me. And the law says, obey, 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 keep obeying, obey, keep running in place. Okay, Don't stop, because if you stop obeying, you're, you're dead. Okay, you, you can't do it. The law brings death. The law says, obey and keep obeying. There's no power in the law. The power comes in Jesus, who took the law, who took sin for us, and gives us His righteousness. And so, that's the beauty of the Gospel. And so, the question is, have you looked at your heart? Have you really looked underneath and seen, maybe not just the outward, but have you looked at your heart and your attitudes? Do you really love people? Or do you secretly say, man, i got to get out of here. I can't stand these people. Uh, you know, Do you see the lust of your heart? Do you see the struggles with lust? Do you see these things? This is what God wants us to say just confess it. Just say, acknowledge what Paul has been saying. And, you know, I can't keep the law. I'm a sinner. But I trust in you, Jesus, because you're my righteousness and you died on the cross for me. That's why the law is beautiful. Okay, so then the last thing is this. What then of the law? Well, it shows us how to glorify God. After we've, won, after we've seen this and we've come to faith in Christ and we know that we're righteous in Christ, guess what? Now, this gives us our duty to love God and to glorify Him. But it never saves us. It's never, hey God, look at me. Look what I did. I helped this person. Okay, I helped this old lady across the street or whatever. It's always, uh, it's always, look what Jesus did for me. I couldn't do it, but look what Jesus did. And so, but the law then shows the Christian, the person who's trusted in Christ, how to live and how to glorify God. And the law gives us grace. And that was the other thing I wanted to to talk about. In verses 1 and 2, before Moses Moses received the law, God said this. He said, "Um, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
Then he says, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Do you see what he's saying? I am the God who saved you, redeemed you, brought you out of Egypt. I've saved you. I've redeemed you. Now, live for me. Do this as a response. It's the same thing. Jesus is the one that goes to the cross and he says, look to me. I'm the one who redeems you. I died on the cross for you. Now, serve me. Love me. Obey this command. Not to justify yourself, but to glorify him. Out of out of response of grace, and so this is what the so there's never any. It's interesting if you read the Bible. There's never any bare naked laws in Scripture. They're always bound up in because I have loved you, Israel. Because I have done these things for you, now do this. Out of response of grace, we serve and we love God. The law cannot save. The law can only say, "Do this, do this, and keep doing this." The power of the Gospel is believing in Christ. And this changes your heart and makes you able to actually do the law. Before, when you're a sinner, you cannot do the law. You're in bondage. But when you come to Christ, and when you believe in Him, He sets you free, and He delivers you from death into life, from the flesh into the Spirit. Now you can actually love God. You can actually uh, praise Him. You can actually help people. You can actually love people uh, and you can actually say no to sin and say yes to Jesus. The law. It, the law does not save, but the law keeper, the ultimate law keeper, Jesus, does save. Let me pray. God, thank You for uh, Jesus and the fact that He's the one that kept the law perfectly for us. We couldn't do it, Lord. The more I look at the law, the more I just see, man, I failed there. I didn't do that. I should have did this and I didn't do it. But Jesus, You have set us free uh, from that counting game by what You've done on the cross that we can just we can just freely admit, hey, we're big sinners, we need a big Jesus. And so thank You for that. Thank You for the cross. Help us to uh, just rejoice in it and know it more. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. All right, you guys, wake up. We're going to sing a song. Friend of God. We can be a friend of God now. Because Jesus is our friend. I was sitting in my heart again. Hold
professional. <laughs> if you can, if at all possible.